Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. This is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you are listening to our latest heartwork series called Becoming a Friend of Allah Lessons from the Life of Prophet Ibrahim. If you benefit from and appreciate the work that we do here at Roots, please consider becoming a sustainer at rootsdfw.orgslash sustain. Your contributions go a very long way in supporting the work that we do. And if you're ever in the Dallas area, please give us the honor of being able to host you. We'll have a cup of coffee for you at Suhba, inshallah and we'll be able to welcome you home in person. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi. Welcome home everybody. It's good to see you alhamdulillah. Hope everyone inshallah is doing well. Uh, we have, well, the, the nights are getting a little bit you know, longer, and so we have a little bit less time uh, this evening for our class before Maghrib comes in. So we're gonna inshallah go ahead and get started. I usually like to do a little bit of a recap on what we covered last time. But since we're starting a newer topic tonight, then it's okay, inshallah, we can get started. Um, we are going over a series called Becoming a Friend of Allah, which is the title that Prophet Ibrahim, peace be upon him, had, the friend of Allah. So there are obviously, with this title, there are certain traits and characteristics that he had that gave him this honorable distinction. And so our goal, inshallah, in the course of these few Mondays that we have is to explore how Prophet Ibrahim was able to accomplish this. What were the traits that he had that gave him this amazing status and position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, so far in the past few episodes, or the past few sessions, we've talked about how Ibrahim was somebody with incredible principle, right? He was someone that was able to withstand all types of pressure. He had this unshakable trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, he was able to remain uh, firm, right? But obviously he still carried compassion um, and so we've gone, alhamdulillah, through a significant amount of passages. Tonight we're going to go through maybe one of the more well-known ones. Uh, this is one, a story that you guys have probably, at some point in your life, have heard. I know that there are some uh, Sunday schools that every year around the Hajj time they reenact this story. Uh, sometimes a little bit more graphic than others. I've seen a poor cotton stuffed animal sheep lose its head uh, at an Islamic school. They got really into it. Um, but nonetheless, inshallah, we're going to be going over uh, the passage or the passages tonight that lead up to Ibrahim salam and the famous uh, sacrifice or the, 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 the attempt of sacrifice of his son Ismail as accordance to the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So let's go ahead and, and, and continue. Surah Al-Baqarah. So the interesting thing again, like I said, with Prophet Yusuf, where was the entire story of Prophet Yusuf, guys? Where was it? Which chapter in the Quran? Hint. It shares the same. Yeah, very good. Surah Yusuf. Okay. So, and we said that the story of Yusuf being in the chapter called Yusuf, is that normal for the Quran or is that out of character for the Quran? It's out of character. Normally, the Quran highlights and tells each story as needed in different positions in the Quran itself. So the Qur'an is not giving us, it's not a storybook in that way. There are stories in the book, but it's not a storybook. So, Yusuf, Prophet Yusuf's story being in one chapter, very, very unique, very different. The rest of the stories of the Prophets, you will find them all over the Qur'an, where they are needed in order to articulate and, and communicate a point. And so we've gone through different chapters so far. We've done Surah Al-An'am, we did Surah Al-Anbiya, we did Surah Maryam, right? Now we're going back to Surah Al-Baqarah, which is in the earlier part of the Qur'an. It's the second chapter, but we're towards the end of it. 
Allah Ta'ala, He says, أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِي حَاجَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ فِي رَبِّهِ Have you seen the one who argued or debated with Ibrahim regarding his Lord? Why? Because أَنْ أَتَاهُ اللَّهُ الْمُلْكِ Because Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala gave him a kingdom. This ayah is referring to the king whose name was known as Nimrud. Nimrud was the king that challenged Ibrahim with regards to the message of Islam. What did Allah say here? Allah said that the king argued against Ibrahim and Allah said why? Because an ata Allahu what? Al-mulk. Allah Ta'ala gave this man a kingdom and so he misinterpreted the blessing. So I know we're talking about Prophet Ibrahim's characteristics but let's go ahead and just pull this one for a second because this is very important. In Islam, we do not attribute uh, material wealth and prosperity and fame and status. We don't equate those with the pleasure of Allah, necessarily, right? Do we, do, do we automatically believe that everyone who is wealthy is close to Allah, yes or no? In fact, we, have, we actually have a belief, we have an ethic in the Islamic tradition that the people who are by default closest to Allah are in fact those who are what? Those who are maybe uh, poor or those who are tested. So we actually, as, an, as a Muslim, we do not agree with the notion. Now I know some of you might be saying like, well who does? Well there is actually, there are theological groups and beliefs within other religious groups that believe that God's pleasure is communicated through what? Through wealth, through finances, through status, through right prosperity gospel. Calvinism is most famous. If you've ever studied world religions and the history of religions, Calvinism, which was a, a strain of Protestantism, right, was the most famous in saying that what God's pleasure was communicated through prosperity. That if you had wealth, that, that must mean that God is happy with you. Okay? So we actually, as Muslims, do not identify with this. We don't believe that. We don't believe that this is by default that Allah is happy with you just because you got a new house or a new car or you got a raise. However, we also don't say that Allah hates you because of this. Okay, we don't make any judgment according. How do we understand prosperity? When Allah gives you something, how do we know whether it's good or bad? Hmm? Yeah, Humayn? Okay, someone said based on the reaction. If it led us to be closer to Him. So you get a new car. Like where, where's the first place you go? The masjid? That's a great Sunday school answer. <laughs> She's like, the masjid, right? We write it on the, on the construction paper with a backwards S. Masjid, right? Ideally, ideally, I had a friend growing up, whenever he got some new article of clothing, he would reserve the first time for Jummah. That was just his, his habit. Whenever he got new shoes, a new, new shirt, new, whatever he liked, whenever he got a new article of clothing, he would make sure that the first time that he ever wore it was on the day of Jumu'ah, for Jumu'ah prayer. Why? Because he wanted to give that distinction that I am being given this by Allah. And so I'm going to find out a way in my life to make sure that I dedicate it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, Nimrud here, Allah tells us in the very first line, don't make the same mistake as him. Don't fall into the same trap. It's very, very important. Now, I'm not trying to rattle anybody here, but I want you to think of something very important. There were some companions and some Sahaba that when they got something nice, okay, is everyone ready? You got your floaties on? Because we're about to get deep, okay? 
when they got something nice, momentarily, they would be concerned. Momentarily. Why? Why do you think that is? When they got something really nice, momentarily, just momentarily, they'd be scared. Yeah. Maybe, okay. Perhaps it's part of the test, yeah. Okay, because everyone has the, everyone, there, there's a duality of everything. Provision can be a test, okay, yes. This was the statement that they would make. You guys are all correct, but this was the exact statement that they would say. When they received some unexpected good, like a bag of coins, like gold or something, right? They would actually, some of them would start to become emotional. And they would say, oh Allah, do not give it to me here in place of there. Right? Don't give it to me here in place of there. Meaning what? If, if this is like an either or situation, and it's either Jannah or the dunya, oh Allah, don't give it to me here. Now I know, I'm not trying to, I'm not, I don't want everyone to be like, you know, Facebook Marketplace is going to be flooded tonight with everyone's belongings. <laughs> oh Allah, give it to me there, right? And if you do that, may Allah reward you. But you don't have, Islam doesn't ask of you to do this. The, the dua of the Prophet is what? Rabbana atina fid dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana. I don't think anyone here has any problem with that. I mean, I don't think anyone has any issue with saying, Oh Allah, give us good in the next life as well. The problem is when we allow the, the pursuit of good in this life to distract us from the next life. We allow that pursuit. Notice the dua does not make room for a person to excuse the next life. No. If you had to choose, you choose the next one. If you have enough time and space and energy, you can do both. But if you don't have all of that extra resource, you have to choose, then which one are we choosing? I want you to imagine like you have everything that your life has ever want, wanted, everything at all. You live in Newport Beach in California, you're lo- looking over the Pacific Ocean, right? You have you know, whatever food you want, whatever car, you have everything. Everything you've ever wanted, you finally got it. And then all of a sudden at your door shows up a handsome, beautiful angel of death. And the angel says, congratulations. Allah has given you his Jannah. Allah has given you his Jannah. You will be entered into paradise. Come with me, if you will, and we will get you on our way there. Be honest. You're sitting in your brand new home with all of the cars and all the clothes, and money's not an issue anymore. How many of us would immediately go, and how many of us would be like, can I have just a few days? I just got the new theater room installed. I want to see what it's like to watch Barbie in there. No, no. Stuck with a lot, right? Okay? And you're wearing pink. Okay, no, sorry. How many of us? We'd struggle, right? What does that mean? It means that, well, if we had everything, again, the idea is that the believer, when they understand that Jannah is right there, they don't let anything get in the way. Nothing. That's why you see those people during fundraisers. I know the story sounds kind of weird. But when you see people during fundraisers giving and I, I mean this very respectfully, absurd amounts of money, and they just pledge it. Or forget the amount, because who cares? They give more than what they're comfortable giving. The amount doesn't matter. If someone gives $100,000, but they have $10 million, it's not as impressive as someone who gives 20, but they only have 30. It's way more impressive, percentage-wise. Someone who commits to give something that makes them uncomfortable, what causes them to be able to do that, to write that number down, is what? 
is that they understand that between them and Jannah is this distraction. And they want to get rid of the distraction. So Nimrud here is distracted. He says, well, surely this kingdom that God has given me, right? He didn't disbelieve necessarily in God himself, but he said, this kingdom that I have, right, is something that God has given me, right? And then this allowed him to grow to reject Allah. إِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ رَبِّ الَّذِي يُحْيِي وَيُمِيتُ When he's trying to converse with Nimrud, he says, look, you might think that you're all that, but you're not God. So Nimrud says, what do you mean? And he goes, God, you know, when you think that you're God because you have a kingdom, you have power, you have slaves, you have anyone, anything you want, but God is the one who causes life and causes death. Can you do that? He says what? قَالَ أَنَا أُحْيِي Oh yeah, I can give life and death. He's, he's not understanding. And this is the problem sometimes as well. When we talk about like blessings, when we talk about gifts, when we talk about all this stuff, you know, it's like when we try to redefine things. I want everyone here to understand the paycheck you get every two weeks or every month or whatever, however often you're paid, you might think that it's coming from the accounts payable of your business or HR. You might think that. And at a very, very dunya level, you're right. It is. You got to make payroll. But who is ultimately facilitating that is Allah. And the believer is able to see past all of the obstructions. The believer understands that the food that they eat, the money they get, the health that they have, the family they have, all of this is from Allah. Nimrud is a good example of what happens when the nafs takes over. Ibrahim is a perfect example of what happens when there's no obstructions, clear vision, clear as day. He says, no, God gives life and death. Nimrud says, no, I can kill someone, I can give death, I can have children, I give life. Ibrahim's like, face palm, right? How could you think that? But again, it's important. Muslims are great at understanding the true definition of these things. We don't get caught up. That's why when we say, when we're eating food and it's delicious, we don't say, oh, that was good. We say what? Alhamdulillah. Because the Muslim is able to see beyond that is good. Right? When we're about to sit down and eat, we don't say, can't wait. We say what? Bismillah. Because we understand that this is from Allah. We totally and completely, Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu an, whenever he got a new riding animal, so for those of you who got a new car, same thing, right? You know what he would do? He would go to the animal and he would recite ayatul kursi on it. A lot of you guys have seen that TikTok where the cat has its paw on the other cat's head, like the Arab mom. Right? Like all that. Ali would do that, radiallahu an, Ali, karmallahu wajha, he would do that to his new Riding animal. Why? Because he understood that this is from Allah. And he's asking Allah for protection. You know, it's so funny. My mom, subhanAllah, you know, this is the thing that sometimes elders will give you. You know, you might, know, you might understand how to set up stuff on your phone. And like, you might understand how to like set up, you know, technology and things like that. But there are certain wisdoms that elders have that we just don't have as young. And we just have to just take the L. You know, we're so afraid. We're so concerned. We're so panicky about certain things. And then you'll hear like your, your parents or your grandparents say something and it'll just set your heart aright. My mom always used to say, whenever I was afraid of something, anytime, she would say, do you think that Allah is not in control of that thing? I, I really want to get this job. She goes, you don't think Allah is controlling whether or not you get this job? I'm really afraid of this. You don't think Allah is in control? Mama, there was turbulence. It was the scariest flood I've ever had. She goes, you don't think Allah was in... And then one time when I was in turbulence, you ready for this? This is Qur'an. 
in, in, in the Quran, Allah talks about the birds flying through the air. Allah says, do you not see the birds in the air that expand their wings and then bring them in? Birds that are flying. Who allows them to stay in the air except for Ar-Rahman? One time I was telling my mom how scared I was of a flight and she said, you think anything is keeping you up in the air except for Allah? My brother, who was a physics major originally before he went to medicine, he was like, yeah, you're right. He's like, physicists don't even know how planes fly. I was like, you're not helping. <laughs> He's like, they actually have no idea how we're able to keep planes in air, right? They say Bernoulli's principle, which means that the pressure underneath is greater than the pressure above. He goes, but honestly, it's just a theory right now. Nobody knows how they're able to stay in the air at such a heavy weight. And I was like, you're the worst. I'm taking a bus right next time. But my mom was, my mom was able to say what? You think you're able to fly because of something other than the one who is giving you the ability to do so. Don't ever mistake the forest, right? Don't ever mistake what? The forest for the trees. Understand that Allah is there in every moment. Remind yourself of this. It brings calmness to the heart. It brings strength to the weak. It brings shifat to the sick. Everything. That's why he said what? When I'm sick, he cures me. Okay? So he says... Okay, let me expand this example for you. My Lord, Allah, the one who created everybody and takes care of everybody, He is the one who causes the sun to rise from where? From the east. Okay, so then He tells him, He says, If you think you're God, why don't you change that whole experience? Why don't you change it to bring it from the West? Because if you think that you're equal to God and He brings it from the East, surely you should be able to do that. Surely. This confused him. Nimrud was like, what? Because he came to the realization of his own limitations. And this is why, everyone say Alhamdulillah for Islam. This is why Many people have an existential crisis. That's what he's describing. He had this deep confoundment. What? Wait, what? You're telling me to do something and he's realizing he can't do it. This is why in Islam, whenever we come to the ceiling of our ability, we say what? Allah is capable. Hasbi Allah wa ni'mal wakil. Qadr Allah Allah will do whatever he wants. Many people see this as like a cop-out. Oh yeah, this is what happens. You people who believe in religion, this is what they say. No, no, no. This is a smart person understanding limitations. Smart people, smart creatures understand their limits. You guys, anyone here have a cat? Yeah, cats, you know, they're very intelligent creatures. They understand their limits. They understand where they can't. When, you know, when I have a cat named Sherlock. Sherlock, when he was younger, could jump from very high places. Now, he's a chunky boy. And he understands gravity, right? Negative 9.8 meters per second squared. So he knows, Allah, so he knows. Before, the countertop was easy. Uh, countertop to the floor? He's a kitten. He's like a feather. He weighs nothing. His paws are fine. Now when he lands, he's like sprains his paw. He knows that he needs a couple stops on the way down. Otherwise, what? He knows his limitations. Crete every... And, and when you see it, subhanAllah, when you see it, everyone comments the same thing. If he's like on the table or on the couch and he jumps down or whatever, everyone says, smart cat. Well, smart cat, right? 
We realize intelligence when people realize their limitations. But why not us? Why don't we understand that being limited and recognizing that only Allah is beyond that is a sign of intelligence? And Ibrahim then, as he acknowledges this, is the most intelligent. And he says what? He says, Allah Ta'ala will never ever give guidance to those people who are oppressive. Now, a little bit earlier in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala gives us another description of Ibrahim. Ibrahim has been through a lot. He's been through a lot. How many of you have been tested before? Really, really difficult tests. Anybody? Been tested in life? Come on. Not even the small test? Yeah, everyone's been tested, SubhanAllah. Allah make it easy. Here's the good news. With every test you get, you have two choices. You have two options. You have the ability to eventually pass that test. Or, may Allah protect us, we can fail that test. Tests happen every day. Allah Ta'ala tells us, Do people think that they're just going to say that I believe in the Nagami test? No, people are tested every single day. And the tests that you get are what? An indication of your relationship with Allah. The ones who are tested but remain perseverant in that test, it's a sign that they have legitimately a good relationship with Allah. But the ones who struggle, in fact, there are some people, may Allah protect us, that we turn, you know, the people who test and they do well, they're turning lemons into lemonade. But there are some of us that are able to turn lemonade back into lemons because we're so bad. We're so bad at taking these tests. Ibrahim a.s. Allah says, وَإِذْ بِتَلَى إِبْرَاهِيمَ رَبُّهُ بِكَلِمَاتٍ When Ibrahim was tested by his Lord with certain commandments. I love this ayah. Because Allah is telling us that Following the commandments of Allah will not be easy. I'll never forget, man. My wife has been wearing the hijab since she, since she became mature. Since she was a little girl. There are some days where I'll see her, and she's like, you know, we're, we're going somewhere, and she's running late getting ready. I'm like, what's going on? She goes, it is just such a good hair day today. <laughs> and I go, what do you mean? She goes, sometimes you wonder. And again, mashallah, she loves the hijab. But she's like, you know, that, that Revlon One Touch or whatever it's called. She's like, just, you know, can we just be late to this thing? I like, you know, let the hair flow a little bit. That's a test. That is a huge test. And for people, no matter what, whether it's hijab or whether it's modest clothing or whether it's holding your, everyone is tested. And the commandments that Islam gives us, I'm here to tell you, they're not designed always to be easy. They're sometimes easier for some others than some other people. But realize that just because you struggle doesn't mean you're a failure. No, it means that Allah Ta'ala is giving you strength. Whatever increment you do, whatever growth you have in the test that you take, Allah Ta'ala is showing you that you're getting better. Even if it's something that you deem insignificant. There was a sister one time that I met who only wore hijab on Fridays. She would wear it to Jummah and then she would just keep it on. Normally she did not wear the hijab. Fridays, Jummah, and then she just kept it on. And there were some people that misunderstood this. They were like, oh, right? Either wear it or don't. I'm like, shut your mouth. Why would you ever discourage somebody from trying to do whatever good they could? Do we tell people pray five or don't pray any? We don't, right? Whatever incremental gain. It could be, let's say somebody doesn't wear the hijab. Let's say somebody doesn't pray five times a day. You don't clear the whole slate. 
There are other elements of your life. SubhanAllah, Imam Ghazali said this. Imam Ghazali said, don't give up on Allah because you can't do everything. Maybe your weakness is, for example, that you can't pray with full khushu all the time. But you can be a very generous person. Maybe you're really stingy. May Allah you know, help us and the maimans amongst us. All right, I'm joking, all right? <laughs> it's a joke. Inside joke. Well, really, it's not inside. It's really everywhere. All right? May Allah Ta'ala help us, okay? Not be stingy, okay? But listen, maybe you have a problem with generosity with a little bit of money, okay? But you know what? You might be somebody that can give a lot of your time. You might be somebody that can fast for Allah's sake. So Imam Ghazali says, don't write yourself off. Don't write yourself off. Wallahi, Allah Ta'ala appreciates every single ounce of effort that you do. Even if, even if it's a small, small amount that no one else can tell, Wallahi, Allah can see it. Right? Allah Ta'ala says what? And even what? Even in the smallest weight of an atom, Allah Ta'ala sees that. Okay? So, Ibrahim was tested with his commandments. But he completed them. He completed them. He stuck to it. As a result of this perseverance, Ibrahim was given the position of leadership. You are now a leader. Many people want position or leadership, but they don't want to pass the test. Realize that leadership only comes when you pass the test. Leadership only comes when you pass the test. If a person wants to be in a position of status and honor with Allah, then you cannot keep avoiding being tested by Allah. You have to, you have to just own it. And you have to do your best. Okay? Qala, And then he asks Allah, what about my children? And this is, for those of you who have kids, you can appreciate this. But this is, I want to tell you something, subhanAllah. Ibrahim is being given revelation by Allah. What would you think about if Allah was in a giving moment with you? Would you even think about anybody else? Would you think about it? No, absolutely not. You know who thinks about other people? True believers, prophets. Here's an example. Ibrahim is being given this position of honor. You're a prophet. And the first thing he thinks about is his children. He says, what about my children? There's two things that are mentioned in tafsir about this. Number one is that he's a father. And he cares about his children. But number two, and this is even more beautiful, is that he doesn't want the message to die with him. I want you guys to think of something, subhanAllah. Imagine that in your life, imagine for a second that if you looked back on your, on your, your family tree, but it was a religious family tree, when did Islam come into your family? Think about that. Like go far back, okay? So for me, for my dad, it's easy. It was him. My dad converted. A lot of you were like, wow, I thought you were the convert this whole time. No, my dad did. Okay? My mom is Egyptian. My dad converted to Islam. So with my dad, it's easy. He's the first one. Okay? So if you look at like my dad's family tree, it was all not Muslim, not Muslim, not Muslim. And then eventually you got what? Jim Murphy accepts Islam in Cairo, Egypt in this date. All right? SubhanAllah. And then from there, his family, what? It's like illumination. The tree lights up and you start to see it. I want you to think about, that's a very inspiring image, right? But I want you to think about the opposite. I want the consideration of the fear of being the last Muslim in your family. Do you start to get nervous? Can you imagine meeting Allah and having that conversation? 
that, oh Allah, because I didn't do enough learning, because I didn't do enough to keep Islam in my family, because of the decisions that I made, I didn't prioritize you, Ya Allah. That my children ended up leaving the faith. And as a result of that, I was the last one. I was the last one. And I can tell you this because if I can be personal for a moment, my eldest sister left Islam. So for me, it's a very real reality. And a lot of families in our community have a relative, whether it's a sibling or a cousin, that did the same thing. And I want you to understand now the pressure that you have, good pressure, that you have to make sure that you are not the last Muslim in your lineage. May Allah grant us that. I mean, And how much that, it's an honor, but it is a pressure. So Ibrahim, when he's given this position of leadership, he says, وَمِن ذُرِّيَّتِي Oh Allah, I don't want to be the last one who's Muslim in my family. Allah Ta'ala then responds, قَالَ لَا يَنَالُ عَهْدِ الظَّالِمِينَ Allah Ta'ala does not default extend His promise to anybody. You know what this means? Even if you're a prophet of God's son, even if you're the son of a prophet of God, you're not guaranteed any status or position if you do wrong. Every person has to answer for themselves. The Prophet ﷺ, he was speaking about on the Day of Judgment, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ was speaking about on the Day of Judgment how everybody is going to have to line up before Allah individually. No one's going to be able to claim that, oh, you know, my brother was Hafiz and he told me that I could be one of his ten. <laughs> if that happens, it happens, right? But I'm not going to bank on that. Or my grandma, you know, she used to pray to Hajjud every night and she used to give me piyara salam before I left the house. And I thought that, Allah, that would be enough for me. No, on the Day of Judgment, it's just you and Allah. The hadith says that there's a curtain that's drawn around you. You're alone. Because when you're answering questions, there is a comfort when you're being surrounded by people. But when you're alone, it's all you. You can't look to your left or to your right. It's just you and Allah. And you have to go through everything that you did, everything that you said, everything that you neglected. And Allah is going to ask, why? So I gave you everything. The health you had, the wealth you had, the position, the status. Was it too much to ask to pray? Was it too much? You had 24 hours a day of privilege. You couldn't take 25 minutes a day to pray? You can wake up early to catch a flight to vacation, but you can't wake up early to worship? Those questions will be on that day. May Allah give us good answers. May Allah protect us from those questions. But I want you to imagine something, subhanAllah. Nobody on that day will be able to extend, not even the Prophet himself, sallallahu His daughter Fatima said, not even us? He said, not even my daughter Fatima. That was his... That was, in his family, besides his wife, that was the love of his life, his daughter, his baby girl. When she would come in the room, he'd be in a meeting, he would stop the meeting, and he would take her by the hand and sit her down. How are you? How's life? What's new? He would interrupt his meetings for her. And he's saying, yeah, Fatima, even you, I can't help. For a father or a mother to say that to their child, I can't help you, is the most absolutely horrifying admission to come to. I can't help you. It's one of the most scary things a parent could say. And that's why you see Ibrahim worried. I know many of us in this room are not at the stage yet of parenthood. But I want you to know one thing. The decisions you make right now are decisions that will set you up to make sure you're not the last Muslim in your family. I'm not trying to be dramatic. If I were, I'd put on music. 
But I'm trying to be real with you. As a person who is living that reality in his own family, I want you to understand that it is very entirely possible for that to happen. May Allah Ta'ala keep our faith safe. And then we continue now with this beautiful story. Ibrahim alayhi salam in Surah As-Safat. We went over this before, so we're not going to start here. But Ibrahim alayhi salam is mentioned by Allah. He came to Allah with a pure heart. A pure heart. You know what this pure heart means? The scholars talked about it. What does it mean to have a qalbin salim? They described it beautifully. They said, qalbin salim is when a person's heart is detached from everything else. You guys want to know the, the formula? There's three steps to this process. How do I get a pure heart? Number one, well, let's, let's first talk about the three ways that actions happen. Number one is that you do things, like you use your body to do things. Number two is that maybe you can't always do something, but you say something. Man, if I could, I would just beat him up. You can't do it because you're probably going to get jacked. But your, your verbal, right, the, the, the words coming out of your mouth is communicating what you would want to do. And then the last stage is that you can't do it, you can't say it, but in your heart you feel it, right? You want it, you feel it. Qalbin Salim, subhanAllah, is when a person is able to conquer their actions and they're able to conquer their speech. They don't even say bad things anymore. And subhanAllah, even their heart doesn't yearn for those things anymore. That's so challenging, subhanAllah. It's, a lot of us can fake it, right? You can fake it. You can grow out a nice little beard, right? You can wear a kufi. You can pronounce your qafs and the really strong. You can come to heart work, right? But then you might say things that aren't befitting of a person who loves Allah. You can dress like a person. Look. You can go buy some nice clothes. Like, I look like I love Allah. But do my words match? If I backbite, if I lie, if I oppress people with my tongue, if I slander, my words don't match up. So I could look like I love Allah, I could pretend like I love Allah, but my tongue might go against me. May Allah protect us. Now, I could also act like it and speak like it, but in my heart I can have the most foul, horrific thoughts about people. It's true, you could argue that in Sharia you're not held to account for what you feel. But we also know that what you feel eventually becomes real. What's in here eventually comes out. You can only hide it for so long. It's like a pressure cooker. And so the believer wants to contain their heart as purely as possible. They want to think, that's why the Prophet said what? When you see somebody make a mistake, this actually wasn't the Prophet, it was Omar radiallahu anhu. He said, what? Give them 70 excuses. Not verbally. You don't have to list them off. Like, all right, number one, number two, number three. He said, in your heart, give them 70 excuses. By the time you get to number 17, you're like, all right, I don't, I don't know. I don't care what they did anymore. I'm not interested in this. Because that's what, that is a kind of training that gives your heart that salim, that peace, that salam, Right? So he came to his Lord with a pure heart. This is the goal. And that's why Allah Ta'ala said that on the Day of Judgment, The only thing, the person on that day that will be in a good spot is the one that comes to Allah with no distractions in their heart. You know what it means to have no distractions in your heart? Has anyone here ever given someone a gift or ever done charity and then forgotten that they did that? 
Anybody? Anyone here ever donated something and then forgot about it? Maybe you're only remembering now that I'm telling you. You guys ever put a dollar in the donation box and do you remember every dollar you put in? Do you remember every gift you've given? That's a good sign. Because if a person remembers every gift they've given, they might be maiming. I'm joking. I had to. I'm so sorry. If they remember every If they remember every gift they've given, that's a sign that they were not sincere in their gift giving, correct? Astaghfirullah. I'm so sorry. To all my mammon people. The Kausay is so good. Okay? If you remember every donation you've given, it was a sign you weren't sincere. Because sincerity means what? We are taking care of you for Allah's sake. I don't want any thanks or reward. Right? So you do have Qalbin Salim. If you're somebody that has done this, do you remember every prayer that you've prayed? Do you remember every dua you've made? Do you remember every time you've said Astaghfirullah? No. That's a sign that you've done it with pure sincerity. You're not keeping count. You're doing it for Allah. A pure heart does things for Allah without being aware that they're doing things for Allah. It's part of who you are. It's part of, being, part of your nature. The person that has to focus on holding the door open for somebody, like really fight themselves to hold the door open, they're not really that nice. But the person that is just part of who they are, Every time they know there's someone behind them, they hold the door open. The person walking out might say, thank you. And the, and the person says, for what? For what? They say, for holding the door. And you're like, oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. bin Salim. May Allah Ta'ala give us that. I wanted to keep going tonight, but it is Maghrib. And prayer is more important than anything I can say. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us a pure heart. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that never ever confuse wealth for His love. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that whenever Allah gives us, we always give for His sake. And we use whatever He gives us for His sake. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that always come to Him with sincerity. And that never ever leave Him feeling despaired. That we always will do whatever we can. Oh Allah, allow us to always come to You with whatever we have. And allow us to always do whatever we can in any moment, Ya Rabb, even if it's partial, even if it's not complete. Oh Allah, Your mercy is greater than our mistakes. Oh Allah, Your forgiveness is greater than our gaps. Oh Allah, we ask You to please protect us. We ask you to protect everybody here from all evil. Oh Allah, we ask you to bless everybody here with health and happiness and iman, Ya Rabbil Alameen, and their families, O oh Allah. Do not make us amongst those who Islam is the last thing in our family through us, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Allow Islam to continue through us and our families and our children, Ya Arhamar Rahimeen. Wa sallillahum ala sayyidina wa nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Tafsini wa kathira. Jazakallah khairan everybody. Barakallah fikum.